0: Autonomous truck technology is a big deal. For a fragmented trucking industry, the ability to assist and potentially change the nature of being a truck driver can be considered a paradigm shift. For an industry built upon thousands of motor carriers and millions of drivers, questions about what and how these systems will work are huge, as failing to anticipate or adjust for their debut can mean some carriers go the way of the dinosaur and become extinct. But as with most things involving regulated commerce, we need to pay attention to what regulators are thinking about, and especially talking about. Will this autonomous trucking revolution be a bang? Or will legal challenges mean the rollout is more of a fizz? While well, folks find out, it's lucky day, we're gonna figure it out in this episode of Loaded and Rolled. Now, I've talked a lot about autonomous trucks, but one thing that keeps sticking with me at least is not the dazzling technology, but what are the legal challenges? Now, it's one thing to have an AI-driven system, but it's another thing altogether to handle what happens when accidents or breakdowns occur. It be even more challenging to see what's going on behind the scenes at Capitol Hill, where legislatures will have an outsized impact through not only their laws and regulations, but how they're going to address the autonomous vehicle deployment. And another thing is, once they're deployed, fleets going to use them operationally. But we're in luck, because today, joining me again to catch up on what's been going on at Capitol Hill, what the current legal front for autonomous truck systems is, is Wiley Deck, Vice President of Government Affairs and former FMCSA Deputy Administrator. Before joining the FMCSA, Wiley also served over two decades in the U.S. House of Representatives in various roles, including... Director of Oversight and Investigations for the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. Welcome back, Wiley. Pleasure to have you back on.
1: Well, thanks for having me again,
0: Thomas. Uh, good to see you. Glad to be here. There's so much to go through, and I think it's important because one thing that I've I've noticed is even at the FMCSA, we're seeing a lot of movement on things like uh, mill breaks, trying to address some problems that are driver-facing, but I feel like there's not been as much talk uh, at least about some of these autonomous systems, which may be you know looming in the next five to 10 years.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely uh, correct in that uh, they started the process back when I was at the agency back in 2019 on the uh, autonomous trucks. But what we've seen is uh, delays in, in rolling out that next process, next phase of the rulemaking process, which is a notice of proposed rulemaking. In January, the administration put out uh, the uh, Supplemental Advance Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, which is they were asking a bunch of additional questions that weren't covered in the original uh, document, and they wanted to know uh, about changes that have happened in the industry since the original document came out in 2019. Uh, And what we've seen is that Uh, They've also put out notices for some research that the agency will be conducting into uh, these technologies, which may delay the uh, release of the next phase of the rulemaking just because they may want to see this information and data that they're uh, planning to collect and how that will shape what a, a future rule would look like.
0: And that's an interesting point because it does feel like states like California and Texas and others are almost taking point on developing some blueprints. I know California has an assembly bill that may even require drivers in these trucks. Um, is this something where, is that going to be taken into consideration by the FMCSA or is this more of a legislative Capitol Hill, let's keep figuring this out because you may end up stirring
1: the hornet's nest if you make the wrong step? I, I certainly think they're definitely looking at the various states and what they're doing, and because right now what you see is that patchwork of rules and regulations that each state has. California is different than Texas, than Florida, than Mississippi, than Massachusetts, and they're certainly taking a look at it that. And you know that's why at where where I'm working at Plus, we're taking a more evolutionary approach to this and figuring out. What's the best commercialization route to avoid uh, triggering those regulations and all those other states while at the same time developing our our product that uh, we can make commercially available sooner rather than later. But what we've seen uh, recently in California is that the bill that was working its way through the legislature, it passed the assembly uh, almost unanimously. There are only four votes against it. But once it got to the Senate, it got into committee. And then what we've seen last week, uh, the governor uh, of California, Governor Newsom, uh, announced that uh, he was uh, opposed to this legislation moving forward. And what the legislation would have done would have uh, required a human in the cab at all times uh, in, in these vehicles that are supposed to operate uh, autonomously without it human in the cab, but it would have mandated that uh, at all times, the system operating, you must have somebody in the cab. But the governor reached out and made that statement that he was opposed to this legislation and tacitly basically said uh, that he would veto that if it moved forward out of the Senate.
0: That's what I was curious about because the, the my thought would have been California, you have San Francisco, a lot of areas for tech development, Silicon Valley. But at the same time, if you're a California governor, you also have labor and teamsters and other stuff you're trying to work. Is that something where for like even Governor Newsom saying, hey, I really don't like this. Is that enough for for a casual observer to say, "Okay, well, I should probably not really have to worry about this until
1: maybe next election cycle or a few years down the line? Uh, I I think, you know, we'll keep an eye on it, but I think that has created a a huge hurdle uh, for moving that legislation forward. Uh, if, the go- if it gets to the governor's desk and, and the governor vetoes it, uh, is that something the Senate will do? Uh, if they do, then it will have to come back to the legislature uh, for a possible veto override. And uh, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on it and keep uh, reaching out to those members of the Assembly and members of the, of the Senate to uh, voice our thoughts and our opinions on on this legislation and uh, work to see where we go from there. And I know that we have, I mean, I guess it's coming up almost, uh, 2024 election
0: season, people are ramping up. Is this the time when you're trying to influence policy? Does it, you know, within these four-year, two-year periods, depending upon if you're the House or the Senate, uh, is there a specific time where you really need to hit the gas and try to push for legislation? Or are these legislators typically, when it gets closer to it, they're not going to be as active because now you got to go out and
1: try to get reelected and do all the stump speeches and all that? Yeah, you 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 nailed it right on the head on that one. Um, that's exactly what happens. Uh, and right now is the time that you need to be very active in trying to pass uh, any type of substantial legislation. Because once you get into the latter half of the year, if it's not uh, part of a funding bill, uh, odds are it's not anything substantial. Isn't going to uh, make it through the. House and the Senate and then on to the president uh, for signature, uh, just because presidential politics plays a lot into that. But you're also at the same time, you've got a third of the Senate that's up for reelection and the entire House of Representatives that are up for reelection and politics. Th- this is a big issue because, uh, you know, there's a lot. There's that perception there uh, that, you know, jobs are at stake, uh, which is if you look at all the studies, it is not the case. Uh, in fact, this, this these new technologies will create jobs and also make the lives of of those operating these vehicles better, safer, and easier. So, uh, it's just that perception that gets out there and that that sticks with uh, those elected officials that are looking to be reelected.
0: Well, they're worried because I can only imagine for some states. I think Walmart's one of the largest employers and also truck drivers. And I think that uh, from what I've read, most autonomous systems are currently, if you're fully autonomous, it's a hub and spoke. So it's like an LTL, but the long haul segment is taken out. And that brings me to an interesting thing. Zoning regulations, Kodiak and Pilot had recently made, you know, they have a truck port in uh, Villarica, Georgia, outside Atlanta. And I'm curious where even from plus, uh, there's a, a stance as well as what legislation. You had such a great point that from your experiences in Congress last time I spoke to you, some of the most effective folks were former developers. I yeah, just want to build things when we're talking about infrastructure. Uh, is this something where it's, where it's split? So we're focusing on the autonomous systems. I want to find a bill. I want to get attached to something to see if I can get across the finish line. Is anyone paying attention yet to the infrastructure and? Well, we need special zoning. We need special requirements for utilities or, you know, locations. Is that something on the radar yet or is it still front and center? Will the tech
1: work? Yeah. Uh, that, that's certainly uh something that uh both the Federal Highway Administration and the State Departments of Transportation are really looking into and saying, okay, we need they they've always been uh forward thinking in making sure that the uh, infrastructure that they're building meets the needs of the future because it's expensive to build these roads and bridges and other infrastructure. How do we meet the needs today, but also continue to meet them in the years to come? So folks at the Federal Highway Administration are already looking at how to shape uh, policy in moving forward in creating these new roads and bridges and other infrastructure but at the same time, making them, uh, AV friendly. And this, this is where, you know, we work, uh, both those of us in, in, in my industry and others are working with the state DOTs and the federal highway administration, which funds, uh, through our tax dollars, uh, road construction and, uh, repair and maintenance, uh, throughout the country.
0: And I'm curious about, I know with insurance, a lot of times insurance is up to the states uh, when I talked to insurance providers for trucking, but for infrastructure, is it something where the federal administrations handle only the interstate system and then the states handle the bridges and highways everywhere else? Or how do you approach that? If you're trying to get a- autonomous, friendly roads, what's the environment for a lot of folks? Because uh, me being a casual observer, I was, I'm i just assuming the government just sends out like 700 billion. We're going to fix a
1: bunch of bridges and somehow it just magically happens. Well, what they what they do on the federal level is they they set a set of parameters that a state uh, must meet in uh, the uh, restoration, the repair, construction of uh, new roads and bridges uh, to meet certain specifications. uh during that, that construction so that it does have that longevity uh, in the future. And, you know, when they're working in uh, on these things and the states are, are finding more and more that they're working with uh, the private sector in public-private partnerships, uh, like uh, com- companies like Transurban, who we just announced a partnership with, uh, to do what you're talking about, where you use infrastructure to speak with autonomous trucks to make sure uh you know they're getting additional information beyond what they're seeing they're, these trucks that are being developed level four driver route are basically uh, learning to drive like like we do like you and I do uh what we can see around us uh, both in the distance and, and short range uh, but what if you had infrastructure that could transmit information to the vehicle and say, hey, two miles up ahead, the two left lanes are closed, so you need to move over, uh, be, watch out for uh, animals that may be on the road or, or uh, traffic is building up ahead, and you can adjust that operation of that vehicle accordingly just from talking with infrastructure. And these are the types of things that uh, not only on the national level uh, the Department of Transportation is looking at and also targeting funds for Uh, But on the state level, they're doing uh, partnerships uh, with uh, the private sector to advance these things. Because if you look at what the trust fund, which funds these uh, roads and bridges and uh, everything else in in transportation, there's fewer and fewer dollars that are coming into it. And uh, it's funded by our gas taxes. And as a result, you have less flexibility. So they're doing more and more with the private sector.
0: I'm also thinking out of, out of the conversation with folks for tolling collection as well, that's one thing I'm wondering about is if, since the fuel taxes, if we go to electricity, we go to other fuel sources, we're no longer getting that kind of big gas tax, or we have to find other ways to tax, whether it's through tolls, whether it's through uh, sensors to show how many autonomous trucks, because the well, you know, if you're using an electronic autonomous, electric autonomous vehicle, battery electric, how are you gonna handle that? So I, I'm pretty curious to, is there specific things that we should keep our eye out for in terms of what would an autonomous, friendly infrastructure package look like? Are we talking like huge amounts of sensors, 5G connectivity, or is it something like, I think of like a trolley, you just put a few
1: lines in the ground and see if that's a way to help make sure it stays in its area. Well, I, ideally you would have uh, proper lane markings and and signage that the vehicles uh, can interpret and read. Uh, that Those would be the key things, but once you get uh, beyond that, it's you know, various sensors, uh, maybe on, on existing light posts, uh, that are in urban areas on signage, uh, where you would want to see these types of, uh, new sensor technologies providing that information. And as for, uh, toll roads, uh, you know, that's certainly a, a way I don't see, you know, AV only lanes, uh, Existing uh, just because of uh, political pressure, and uh, also, how much room do you have to put those additional lanes? And do you? And how soon will those be utilized? Uh, by uh, are, the, are they are they going to be only truck only AV lanes, or are they going to allow for passenger cars? And how do you? Uh, ensure proper utilization of that in order to get a return on investment. So I, I don't see, in particular, any AV-only lanes in any large scale. But I know that one of the areas that uh, Congress is looking at, and DOT has looked at, and various states have started the uh, pilot programs are the uh, is the VMT, the vehicle miles tax. And how how it's approached is is varies among among the various states. You know, is it uh, you self-report your mileage, or as you register your vehicle, your mileage odometer is read at that time, and uh, you owe and maybe they, you pay over uh, every quarter, every month uh, your taxes uh, for that year. It just hasn't been uh, decided yet, and then at the same time. That you move to that uh, alternative system like VMT. Uh, how do you uh, wean the country off of the gas tax, uh, and so that it you're not double paying uh, as you're driving down the road? Because as you said, with an electric vehicle, they're not paying anything in towards maintaining the roads, uh, building new roads uh, and infrastructure. And at the same time, they are typically heavier than a passenger car, a gas-powered passenger car, so they're creating uh, more damage uh, to the roads just because of their weight. So we need to find out a way as we're pushing towards that electrification of, of the uh, vehicle uh, industry, we need to look at a way uh, to make sure that they're paying their fair share uh, as as we need to develop and, and improve our, our road infrastructure.
0: That's a, that's a great point. I don't think a lot of folks have considered. wanted to shift gears away a little bit of time, uh, the legal aspects as well. There's an interesting case, spoke with Matt Leffler a few weeks ago about Werner. They're appealing a $100 million verdict going to the Texas Supreme Court. But this was interesting that stuck out with me was that a vehicle merged into the truck. Uh, the fault and stuff was determined, but at the same time, the carrier was being held liable for the damages in even though it was operating under you uh, know allegedly the FMCSA guidelines considered safe, you know, in coming in the lane of travel. Is, is there an instance and i I saw in San Francisco it was a car, so this is obviously not a truck, but um you know when you have self-driving vehicles get in accidents, what are some of the challenges and thoughts on on Capitol Hill? And if you're looking at figuring out not only the the deployment of these systems, but it almost feels like there's a whole other battle to say what happens if something does go wrong?
1: Uh, how do you, how do you tackle that? I think, I think we're all in a, in a state of wait and see, uh, that it's such a new, uh, technology, a new industry. Uh, and as it develops, you know, we'll start seeing, uh, more data coming in. I think that's one of the, uh, things that the insurance companies want to see, uh, before they jump in, uh full force and say, we're going to invest in, we're, I mean, we're going to insure all of these types of vehicles. They want to see the data coming in, uh, on crashes, crash avoidance, those types of things that, uh, they just don't have right now. And you, you in instances where, you know, like you said, the, the, you brought up the Werner, uh, hundred million dollar, uh, case, there are other cases uh, that we've seen. There was a billion-dollar case in Florida. There was another $400 million case. Uh, again, these are with human-driven uh, vehicles, but how do you uh, assess insurance coverage on a vehicle that doesn't have a human behind the wheel uh, while it's operating? And that that's one of the uh, and I'll, I'll reiterate the, one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing and approaching uh, commercialization uh, differently is we are taking our level four system and created a driver assistance system, a highly automated driver assistance system, so that we can collect data. And every time those vehicles are on the road, uh, we are collecting that data and improving the driver assistance system. And at the same time, we're improving. Once further down the line, when full autonomy occurs at scale, uh, we'll be ready, uh, and the system will have proven itself not only to the public, to the regulators, but also to the insurance industry. And that's why uh, companies like like Bosch has partnered with us as their ADAS provider for commercial vehicles. So uh, and Nikola has, uh, selected us as their, uh, ADAS developer. Uh, so starting, uh, next year, uh, all of the Nikola trucks will come, uh, standard with a uh, plus drive. Uh, so that's the approach we're taking to ensure and also to demonstrate that these technologies are safe and safer than a human driver. And by provide collecting and providing that data, uh, moving forward uh, is is a way to advance the technology. Well, I think that's a good point. One thing that I'm, I'm just thinking of off the top of my head right now, we do
0: hear a lot of calls for uh, automated braking systems. There's a lot more push for having mandates in terms of safety. And so bridging that gap, is there an opportunity to provide the data? For example, detention time is being provided by an ELD provider, AD carriers, 2,500 drivers. When we're looking at bridging it between Uh, you know, theoretical to reality, is that kind of one of the plays as well for PLUS, which is other autonomous ones will say, well, check it out. It's level four versus, hey, I'm here. I'm providing the data. Here's your research study. I'm happy to share this with you. We're a stepping stone almost.
1: Yeah. And this is something that is, uh, you know, we're in dialogue with uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Uh, They issued a standing general order Uh, last year, and they are collecting some data, not necessarily all the data that they need uh, to uh, assess uh, these uh, new technologies, but we're in discussions with them, uh, the industry is in discussions uh, to ensure that they're collecting the data that they need uh, to, again, we are an industry that is asking to be regulated. Uh, it, not many uh, industries uh, request that, but, but we are, because we know that that's the path forward uh, for this uh, industry. And in those discussions with uh, NHTSA, uh, we want to make sure that the information that's provided isn't taken out of context. Uh, so this is the, the, the path uh, moving forward. Uh, NHTSA has some other uh, studies that are being done that will also assist in the assessment of these vehicles. Uh, You've got uh, also working with uh, insurance industry and making sure that they are aware of how the technology is developing and and where it's progressing to. So it's not just regulator industry uh, insurance as well. Got about a minute
0: left for uh, circling back to the legislative topic. It's almost like there's a window before election season. If we expect to see any movement uh, from the DOT, capital FMCSA, how much time should we look at right now before it would be reasonably expected that you know it's time to go get reelected now because an election's coming up? How much of a window do we have? A
1: very short window. Uh, I would say probably, if not uh, end of o- October maybe mid-November, because at that time, they're focused on, uh, after that, if they haven't passed, which I I don't expect them to do, uh, the appropriations bills necessary to fund the government, uh, that's what their focus will be uh, before uh, the end of the year. And then uh, starting, actually, starting in September, now actually, uh, we've already started the presidential election season uh, it just gets more difficult the closer you get to the start of the new year. So uh, I would say by, if it's not done by the end of October, uh, it's challenging to get uh, any significant rulemaking or legislation out.
0: Perfect. Wiley, thanks so much for your time. Folks want to learn more about PLUS, get in contact with you or just get you know caught up with what's going on in Capitol Hill. What's the best way to get in contact with you all?
1: uh yeah you can i'll give everybody my email address uh wiley at plus.ai and uh, you can also go to www.plus.ai to visit our our site and you can also reach out to us through there
0: perfect wiley thanks so much again always a pleasure talking to you there's a lot going on so we're going to keep our ear to the ground and watch these developments all right thank you very much that's gonna be a wrap for today but you can catch the podcast as well this thing will be put on apple and spotify Uh, Every Tuesday at 1 p.m. we go live, of course, and then the newsletter comes out Thursdays at 2 p.m. Check it out.